Happy Sabbath fam. Once again, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, we continue our series, Dare for More. Uh, I have loved this series because we are in a pandemic, as you know, um, and we are trying to get back to life as normal because we have been living in a season of less. So I have been thinking to myself and the objective behind the series is to help us to dare for more in a season of less. We've uncovered three basic concepts. Um, basically, we have understood that the amount of faith you put in determines the outcome that God is going to give to you. Therefore, we said dare to faith. You got to have that faith. You got to dare to faith. You got to take that action. You got you to take that step. We also learned that God is a grand God. He is a God of gravity. He's a big God. And therefore, our requests should equal the magnitude of his grandness. That is why I told you, dare to ask for more. Then last week, we uncovered a, a, an important principle, and that is Jesus does not see us for who we are. Jesus sees us for who we can become, and that is good news to somebody right there. It's not what you are presently, currently, at this moment, that defines you. But God defines you by your future. But you got to take the correct step this morning uh, to get to that moreness that God has intended for you uh, to be in. So I'm enjoying this uh, series. And today I want to bring you installation number four. And we are coming from Isaiah. Now, when I use the word we or the pronoun we, it's me and the Holy Spirit, because I believe that this is a connection that we have. So we are coming to you this morning from the book of Isaiah, chapter number one, verse number 10 to number 20. That's the concentration of our somatic expression this morning. Isaiah lived about 800 years before the birth of Jesus. He lived in the southern part of Palestine in a territory or a nation called Judah. Judah has done the wrong thing against God. And so in the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters to be exact, Isaiah is trying to help them to make things right. They have done wrong, but he wants them to make it right. Have you ever done something wrong in your life? Perhaps you did something wrong this week. Perhaps you did something wrong last week. Perhaps you did something wrong two years ago, three years ago, ten years ago. That has defined your life in a certain pattern and you have not figured out how to make it right. In the passage we're going to read, you'll discover tools and keys and steps for you to be able to make things right. So read with me Isaiah chapter number, number 10, Isaiah chapter number 1 verse 10 to 20 Isaiah 10 verse Isaiah chapter 1 10 to 20 this morning kindly pray for me my my internet connection is having a little bit of a, of a challenge so I pray that everything will be all right this morning Isaiah chapter 1 verse 10 to 20 the word of God says hear the word of the Lord you rulers of Sodom, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. You know there is something wrong if you are being compared to the people of Gomorrah. 
Verse 11 says, and I'm reading from the ESV, What to me is a multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. God is complaining. Things are wrong. Verse 12 says, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Verse 13, bring no more vain oblations or offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. God is saying your church worship is wrong. Verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. You know there's something wrong when God is tired. Verse 15 says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. You know there's something wrong if God is not hearing your prayers. And that is what is happening right here. Verse 16 says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And I love verse 18. And listen to this carefully. Come now, let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as a snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Verse 19, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you make it right, you're going to eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it the mouth of the lord has spoken it we are tagging the sermon this morning dare to make it right dare to make it right let us pray heavenly father make this sermon right and help me to be all right and make somebody right today i pray in your name amen So, I've been having um, ankle pain, um, and this ankle pain has been with me since the year 2016. Typically, I'm the kind of individual who bounces quickly from injuries, but this ankle pain, I have been unable to shake. So, I have been seeing uh, a physiotherapist. Now, before I saw this physiotherapist, I went to a doctor to get a diagnosis. So when I sat into her in her office, the doctor probed me with questions and she asked of me, can you tell me what you're experiencing? Can you describe for me the pain? Can you clarify what's going on? So I said to her, doc, the pain has been on the outside of my left ankle below the bone you know that bone that protrudes right there when i turn it to the side or inside up and down i feel pain right there says oh okay i think you are dealing with uh, a structural damage in your ankle so she says the first thing to do in order to assess you correctly is let's do an x-ray let's do an x-ray and so she asked of me to 
to do an x-ray and when the x-ray came back uh, she looked at the x-ray and she said look your ankle has no broken bones in it everything is in correct alignment you see the diagnosis allowed me to see what was going on with my ankle the doctor led me through a process of dealing with my issue it allowed me to move along in the process of bettering my ankle so when she realized that there's no structural damage in my ankle the doctor prescribed me the next step is to do physiotherapy and at this particular moment i have been doing physiotherapy and the pain is not going away as i expected but then she said if it does not change we are going to go to the next step uh, once again i come back to you i say a diagnosis helped me to be able to figure out what was wrong with my ankle and when i figured out what was wrong with my ankle then i took the necessary steps in order to fix the ankle in the passage we read, and Gun, I want you to help me because I'm having a problem here. Uh, in the passage that we read, you're going to see that the prophet is making a diagnosis. The prophet is helping us to see what is happening in the nation of Judah. So what has happened is in verses nine, in verses two to verse number nine, uh, the prophet makes a diagnosis of the economic situation of the nation. In verse number seven, the prophet declares, he says, your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. The economy of Judah cannot find the bottom of bad news. The resources of Judah have been raped by foreigners. The buildings of Judah have been raised to the ground. But the prophet does not only stop at, at economic uh, assessment. The prophet also considers or piles onto their diagnosis the issues involving social justice. Oh yes. It's not only now that people have been revolting and it's not only now people have been burning stuff. Uh, social justice and the desire to do right or to get what is rightly, rightfully yours is a thing since uh, old times. And so the prophet says in verse number 23, he says, your princes are rebels and companion of thieves. They are corrupt. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to mind. In other words, the poor remain poor. The richer remain richer. The oppressed remain oppressed. The corrupt become more corrupt. The abuse of power becomes even more abusive. So the prophet wants to clarify issues he wants to give us the root cause of these uh, economic woes and these social justice woes he, he wants to clarify why are things going wrong in the nation of judah and notice what he says in verse number 11 and we read this text in our reading and and here he gives us not his words but he gives us God's words. This is what he says. What to me is a multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. 
I have had enough of burnt offerings, of, of rams, the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Uh, they are religious. They worship, they fellowship, they go to church. But God does not accept their worship. They do the spiritual thing. They pray. They study. They celebrate Sabbath. They celebrate Passover. They celebrate tabernacles. But God does not accept their religion. And so it dawned on me that a wrong with God somewhere affects or impacts you everywhere. The reason why the nation of Judah is struggling in their economics, the reason why their checkbooks are having a difficult moment, the reason why they are, they are struggling to, to make it, the, the reason why there are social justice issues is because there is a wrong somewhere with God. And because there is a wrong somewhere with God, it is affecting them everywhere. I have an LPG gas in my house that I use to cook and uh, I use that to sustain myself in terms of eating. And so one day I changed the, the gas because it had expired. I mean, it had, it had finished, so I had to go buy uh, another gas cylinder. So I, bu I bought one and I, I hooked it up. And uh, immediately as I, uh, I attached the regulator to the gas tank, there was a leak. That's the sound that I heard. And I knew immediately that there's a leak going on right here. So what I did was I twisted the regulator. And the moment I twisted the regulator, the leak stopped. And there was no longer a shh sound. So I put the cylinder into the place where I keep it. And then I cooked my food that day. I ate and I went about my day. But when I entered my apartment the next day, I could smell the leak of gas everywhere in my bathroom, in my bedroom. I just smelled gas everywhere. And what it dawned on me is that when there is a leak of the gas, it will impact everything that is going on in the house. You will not be comfortable in the house. Things are not going to be good in the house. And therefore, it, 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 it hit me like this. When there is a wrong somewhere with God, it leaks out everywhere. And that is why the people of Judah are struggling. That is why things are not going as they, they should. Because they, there is a problem in their connection with God. There is a problem in their interactions with God. And therefore, because there's a problem with their interaction with God, there is a problem everywhere else with them. This is why their checkbooks are having a struggle. This is why their property is being damaged. This is why foreigners are invading them. And similarly, when you and I are not in a correct relationship with God, when things have gone wrong with God, we're going to be affected in everything.
There are going to be leaks in our lives. There's going to be leaks in our investments. There's going to be leaks in our families. There are going to be leaks in our businesses. There are going to be leaks in our relationships. There are going to be leaks in our employments and in our jobs. There are going to be leaks in our ministry. There are going to be leaks in our health. There are going to be leaks in everything about us because God is a critical is a critical gasket in our lives. And that is what I discovered with my gas leak. The, the, the gasket that connects the regulator and the, the cylinder was a stiff. It was not as supple. And therefore, because it was stiff and it was not as supple, it was affecting the connectivity between the regulator and the cylinder. You see, God is that critical gasket. When he is stiff and not as supple in your life, when you don't involve him in, in everything that you do in your life there's going to be leaks unfortunately many of us God is stiff in our lives we don't we don't consult him in prayer we don't study the word of God as we should God is on a back burner unfortunately because we we live and we move and have our being in him when he is not the centerpiece when he is not that gasket in our lives there's going to be a leak somewhere so yes, a wrong with God somewhere leaks out everywhere. Now, now you see, it amazed me that God was barking at a wrong in what was right. You see, it was God who had established the worship of Israel. God had asked Israel to bring lambs and, and goats and, and cattle God had asked Israel to sacrifice animals, to, to hold feasts. And, 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 and what you find is that the people of God, by doing these actions, they're really following a right that God had established. But the right that God established, he was barking at it because there was something wrong in what they were doing. In fact, verse number 11 will allow you to see that God is really barking at a wrong in what was right. The text says, what to me is a multitude of your sacrifices? That is the ESV, English Standard Version. But notice how the Net Bible, New English Translation puts it. It says, of what importance to me are your many sacrifices? What importance? You, you come to church, you're investing. What importance is that? Look at the Message Bible. It says, what, why this frenzy of sacrifices? Why are you so busy and why are you so like, like, like into it and you're, you're moving and coming in and out of the temple bringing sacrifice? Why are you busy sacrificing? Why are you busy worshiping? What's up? And God is saying like this, what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice? What is the reason for this? God doesn't see importance. God doesn't see reason. God doesn't see the point of them doing these actions. Because God is saying, you have an abundance of worship, but there is no importance in it. I don't see the essence in what you are doing. Because God saw that these brothers and sisters, our ancient brothers and sisters, were doing the right thing, but they were doing it the wrong way. And the prophet allows us to see what is going on. Notice the text in verse number three. God says, this is sad. God says, the ox knows its owner. Mm. 
The ox knows its owner. You know, you know what I'm saying? The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. You know something is wrong when animals relate better to God than people. You know how it is. You, 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 you whistle for, for a dog and the dog comes. It's wagging its tail and it's, 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 you know, it's happy. It's coming, responding to God, to, to its owner. Right? Your pet responds to you. Your, your dog, your cat responds to you. But here God is saying, people don't respond to me. Animals are better than people. It's like God is saying, uh, the, the animals are, are, are people. And the people are behaving like animals. Uh, do you respond to God when he calls you? When he whistles for you, do you come and respond to him? Or are you a, such, are you a person who does not know? His maker, who does not know who made him, who does not know the person who gives him life. Because of the saddest thing in life is to, uh, to, to not honor the one who gave you life, is not to honor the one who gives you breathing, the one who gives you talking, the one who gives you listening. The worst thing that you can do is to, uh, to, 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 to turn your back on God, is to not listen to God. And here God is saying, you have a religion, but you do not have a relationship with me. Yes, you have ritual, but you do not have a relationship with me. Even though you do the right thing, even though you do the worship, I don't see anything important in that because there is something missing in this. I, I had somebody tell me, Henry, you, I, I love that you, you, you make a lot of effort and, and put in into doing this and this and this for me. But the, the thing that I want from you is to spend time with you. I want the relationship with you. And that's what God is saying. I don't care about the rituals as much. What I care for is that we have a connection. What I care for is that we have a, a relationship. And I love what this expert of the book of Isaiah said. J.A. Matyer, he says this powerful uh, statement that I want to bring to your attention. He says, the standing error of the ritualist is that if all depends on performing the ceremonial act, then the more you do it, the better. You see, that's what some people who are so ritualistic do. They make sure that they keep Sabbath from 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. today. They make sure that at, at 6 p.m. Friday, they are in their homes. Food has already been cooked. Uh, clothes have already been prepared. Everything for Sabbath is ready. And that's important. I agree with that. As some ritualistic people, what they do is they give their 10%, exactly 10%. Some ritualistic people, they, they make sure that they dress a certain kind of way. They make sure that they eat a certain kind of way. And there is nothing wrong with rituals because we need rituals. We are built for rituals. But when relationship is not at the center of the ritual, uh, the relationship, the essence of the ritual is missed, then the ritual is a form of godliness without substance. It lacks essence. It lacks importance. And in that sense, it diminishes. You see, a ritualistic religion, 
follow this, a ritualistic religion clogs God's hunger mechanism necessary to accept our worship. Mm-mm-mm-mm. You see, God, I, and I want to prove this point to you. You see, a ritualistic religion will clog God's hunger mechanism uh, to accept our worship. Yes, God's get, God gets hungry. And I want you to know that sometimes, though, God can be full of our rituals. And because he's full of our rituals, he no longer enjoys them. Mm-mm-mm. You see, you know this very well. You you like your befriend Angun. You you like your Nasi Uduk, and you you like your Ayam Bakar, and you, you know you like that. And and you you eat it. You're hungry. You're starving. You're eating and you're eating. But what happens is this: when you are full, you can look at ayam bakar. You can you can you can look at beef rendang. You can look at your favorite vegetable, and you can be like, "Man, I don't want to eat this anymore because your hunger mechanism has been satisfied. Tutu, it's been closed." And so God is saying, "Look at verse number eleven. He says, I have had enough. I am. He says, I took up." It's, I've had enough. I don't want this no more. He says, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight. I hate it. I hate the, the blood of bulls and of lambs or of goats. God says, I'm full. And here's the thing, brother and sister. When we overfeed God with rituals, we evict relationship. That God is saying, look, you're feeding me with rituals, but what I'm really starving for, what I really want is a, is a relationship. That's what I want. I want to connect with you. I want to know you, and I want you to know me. Therefore, when you are giving the sacrifice, you know why you're giving it. You see, when you know God, Sabbath, oh my goodness, whew, Sabbath is not just a day of do's and don'ts. Sabbath is not, oh, I can't go and entertain myself at the movies. Sabbath is not, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't go to my favorite place. No, Sabbath becomes, man, it's a time for me to spend time with God. And I know that many of us, we don't enjoy Sabbath. It's not, it's not, it's not, we don't look forward to that. We just look at it as, as that thing that's going to get in the way. At least when I grew up, that's how Sabbath was looked at. It was just a time when I could, I, I, I just had to be on my good behavior. And then when it was over, I could, you know, go and do what I want. And some of you, that's how you treat Sabbath. Because you don't know the essence of it. Because the essence of it is not about don't do this and that. The essence is, can you and me, you, my child, me, God, actually spend time together? You see, giving the 10% is good, but when you don't know the essence of it, it becomes a, a, a drag. I got to give my 10%. It's going to take away from my income. Yeah, that's how you feel about it if you don't know the essence. You understand what I'm saying? When you don't know the essence of something, when you don't understand the point of it, then when you do it, you don't do it in the right attitude. You do it the right attitude, and instead of you walking and strutting yourself to actually do it right, you, you end up dragging your feet. Oh, I got to do this again. I, I don't like this again. And many of us are doing that. So when, when we overload God or when we overfeed God with ritual, what we're doing is we're evicting the relationship. We are saying, relationship, I'm evicting you. You, you, you don't need to stay in here. Get out of here. But God is saying, I am interested in the relationship. You see, now, when you looked at, um, at the people of Judah, they were doing the right thing. 
I want to come back to that. They, they were doing the right thing. They, they were sacrificing. They were bringing their lambs, their goats, their, their, their sheep. They were bringing that. In fact, by them bringing these things, they were actually investing their resources because these things were not cheap. To bring a lamb, to bring a, a, a cow or a bull or a, a heifer, these things were not cheap, but they brought them anyway. In fact, they were showing God, God, we are invested in the religion. And, and also they were doing the rituals. They were keeping the ceremonies. They would go to the temple like a priest would go to the temple right there as a laver. He would wash his hands and, and clean himself before he partook of the laver. Right? They were, they were doing those things and they looked the part. They spoke the, light, the, the right language. They, they, they dressed the right way. They did the right thing. But when God looked at what they did, he saw that there was a problem because their religion did not positively impact their relationships with those around them. And in verse number 17, in verse number 15, God has to reveal to us what he means by that. He, he says, look, uh, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So he was calling them, check this, he was calling them bloody religionists. He was calling them bloody Christians. He was calling them bloody believers because even though they were praying in the morning, they were praying on the week throughout the day. Even though they went to church, they were doing wrong to those who were in their community, to those who were in their house, to those who were in their office, to those who drove their cars, to those who opened doors for them, to those who cleaned for them. You see, these bloody Christians remind me of a deacon who serves in church. He does good and he's always on time. But besides his wife, he has an extra girlfriend. You see, these bloody Christians remind me of, of an elder uh, who leads well in church, uh, who is called upon and counted on, but yet beats his wife. It, it talks about a preacher who preaches a good sermon, uh, but yet... He steals money from the church. It talks about a, a believer uh, who sings in church, who, who does the good thing, but cannot visit his own brother who is suffering with cancer in the hospital. They are worshiping God, ritualistic, but they do not only have a relationship with God, but they've also evicted a relationship with those around them. And so Judah, they focused on a relationship with God, but neglected a relationship with people. Two mistakes. And so God is saying, because you don't focus on, on me, I mean, because you have neglected your brother and your sister that you can see, you are automatically neglecting me. So you are going to church, you're doing ritual, you're doing religion, but you are forgetting the relationship with your fellow man, your brother, your sister, your father, whoever they are. Therefore, because there is a negligence, there is a neglect on those around you. Basically, we don't have a relationship. I love what 
was being discussed this morning in the Truth Decoded. And I, and I hope that you'll be joining our Truth Decoded sessions, uh, you know, as we, we present, because that's where we get into the word, we get to discuss. But I love what was said that, you know, it's, it's really important that we should not only say that we love God, but yet ha hate the people around us. You are lying to yourself when you say you love God, but yet you, you disrespect your mate. You're lying to yourself when you say you love God, uh, but when somebody on the street needs a little, a, a little money, you turn away. You're lying to yourself when you say you love God, but yet you can't call your own brother or your sister. You're, you're lying to yourself. You, you, you're lying to yourself when you say you love God, but yet you can't greet somebody in church. You're lying to yourself when you say you love God, but when you see that person, you walk the other way. You are lying to yourself. My brother, your religion is a ritual, and what you have done is you have evicted relationship with God and with your fellow men. And God is saying, look, you and me, we have a, we have a problem right here. There is a leak in your life. Uh, think about this. Uh, somebody, suppose, slaps your mother on the cheek. They slap your mother on the cheek and then they come to you and they say, can I borrow money from you? I suppose that you're not going to give them money. Because they slapped your mother, they created a wrong somewhere, there was a problem somewhere, and because that wrong that has been inflicted upon your mother, it has created a, a leak, it has created a problem that is now affecting any other kind of transaction. If they want money from you, no. If they want something from you, no. If they need your time, no, because there has been a problem. And so here I want us to understand that with God, when there is a leak somewhere, when there's a problem somewhere, it is never fixed. It's not going to be okay until we deal with it. And that is why God is saying to them, I will not even listen to your prayers. How can I listen to your prayers? You are, you are slapping people around and you're, you're mistreating them. You're not doing it right. How do you want me to hear your prayers? I mean, think about that. God is also very logical. You know what I mean? He's like, hey man, you ain't doing the right thing. And now you expect right from me? Even though you're not doing right with me? And that is why I'm telling you that a wrong with God somewhere impacts you everywhere. If things are not happening as they should, if things are not going the right way they should, you need to start tracing your steps. Okay. Um, where did I make a mistake? What, what happened? There's always something that went wrong. There's always a problem that happened that requires you to fix, that requires you to stop the leak. You see, what happened to me with the leak in my gas cylinder I discovered that the, the gasket, that rubber gasket that fits inside the head of the cylinder that connects the regulator and the cylinder, I discovered that that rubber was stiff, it was not as supple, and therefore it was, close, it was causing the leak because when the cylinder is supple, what it does is it expands in such a way that it will fill the gap between the two, the, the, because the, the cylinder and the regulator do not have a perfect alignment. That is why we need a gasket. And so the, the gasket fits in the middle to give the cylinder and the regulator perfect alignment. So when I discover that the, it is the gasket that has a problem, what I did is I took the gasket out of the cylinder head and I went looking for another gasket. 
I didn't try to fix that gasket. I went looking for another gasket and I, I went downstairs and I found, uh, I went to the place where I bought that cylinder and I said, look, this has a problem. Do you know where I can go to buy it? I mean, is, should I go to a store, Ace Hardware, something? Should, do, do you know where I can find this? And he told me, oh, actually, you're in good luck. And he, he pulled out of his pocket and he had another cylinder, a gasket. And he says, you can have this one, Pa. So I took it. And yes, it was more supple, you know, more flexible. And I took it. And what I did is I put that gasket on inside the cylinder head. I connected the regulator. And man, there was no more leak until today. So what I did was I, I, I faced the problem head on. I took out the gasket and I went to where I could find a solution. Uh, what I did was I dared to make it right. I took the necessary steps to ensure that I made it right. And this is what I want to inspire us this morning is that when we see that there's a wrong somewhere, we should not neglect the wrong. But rather, we need to look at the wrong and figure out how we can resolve the problem. And so this morning, yes, you see there's a wrong somewhere in your life. You see there's a problem somewhere in your life. But today can be that day when you can make it right. Hallelujah, somebody. Today will be the day where you can say, you know what? The leaks are going to stop today. Today, the leak is not going to be there no more. I'm going to find the right gasket that I need to ensure that I correct the leak in my life and praise the Lord that Pastor Henry has something for you this morning. I want you to understand that there are three things you can do to correct the leak in your life. Number one is that you can take an action. Mm, that's the good news this morning is that you can take an action and, and, and secondly uh, you can claim a promise. Mm. And thirdly let me tell you uh, you can find a blessing. So there's an action you can take. There's a promise you can claim. And there is a blessing that you can find. Let me x-ray the action that you can take. You see, in verses number 16 to number 17, God provides a triplet of actions that could be taken by the people of Judah on their journey to stop the leak that was created in their life. And so it begins by three triplets. They're nine. They're about, they're about three triplets. Uh, it collects about nine of them. So let's look at the first three uh, triplets. God says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds from before my eyes. So what God is asking them is, I need you to order your spiritual life. You need to wash yourselves. You need to make yourselves clean. You need to stop doing evil before my eyes. You and me, your spiritual life needs to be fixed. So he says, order your spiritual life. God is saying, I need you to take a spiritual bath. I need you to wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. And you know how it is. We have a shower. You have a shower in the house. There is water there. The only thing that you need to do is to simply get in, turn on the shower, and you wash yourself. God is saying, take the necessary steps in order for you to be clean. I have news for you, brother and sister. I believe in faith. I believe that we were saved by the blood of Jesus. And that by him saving us, we don't need to, do, we, we don't need to save ourselves. 
But that is not the only story. The story is you need to do your part to wash away the spiritual dirt in your life. Yes, you can delete things. Uh-huh. Yes, you can throw it away. Yes, you can stop it. And therefore, when you wash yourself, you're simply saying, Lord, I'm going to do what is in my hands to do. I'm going to do what is in my power to do. And so God is saying, do your thing. The very things that are really looking bad right now, the wrong things that you can see. Oh, yes, I see that I'm doing wrong here and that. Do your part to get rid of it because that is your part. God will give you the bath water, but God is now going to give, to give you the bath. Mm. God is going to give you the bath water in a sermon by Pastor Henry, but it is up to you to wash yourself by the sermon. Hallelujah, somebody. God is going to give you the bath water by a song that is going to inspire you. It is up to you to live up to what the song is telling you. Oh, yes, brother and sister, clean yourself. Order your spiritual life. That is what God tells them to do. That is the first triplet of action that God tells them to do. Then God goes to the second triplet. He says, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. God is saying, do not only order your spiritual life, but you need to order your personal life. You need to order the way you think. There are some things you need to cease to do. Mm -mm. Things you need to stop. Mm? Uh, how do we say it in, in Bahasa, uh, Gun? Maybe you can help me. Brahanti, right? That, that's to stop, right? Brahanti. 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 Ah, he's helping me out. You, you need to brahanti. You need to stop. So you, you know it's wrong, just stop it. So there has to be a mental shift. And he says, learn to do good and seek justice. God is saying to them, you need to change your attitude so that it can help you to go to a higher attitude. <laughs> you need to change how you are thinking about it so that it will, it will transform how you go about it. <laughs> you need to change it. You need to, to stop it by the way you think. And that is where the battle is a lot of times so that is the action that you have to take your thinking and i will suggest to you that if you want to inject your thinking in a in a in a magnificent way i want to i want to suggest to you take the syringe of god's word and inject it into your mind in fact next week the sermon is going to be dare to do right and I'm going to talk about the word of God next week because that is one of the things that we need. I'm already telling you the sermon for next week. So dare to do right. But that's for, for, for next week. I'm going to come back to that. So God is saying, order your personal life, your thinking life, your attitude life, your, your psychology. Change it and let it be different. And then God also says to them, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. God is saying, do not only order your spiritual life, do not only order your personal life, but you need to order your interpersonal relationships, your interpersonal life. How you relate to people is very crucial. How you do this is very important because you, you, you should not only focus on me and focus on you, but you need to focus on others. Uh -uh. God, me and others. That's how it goes. And so he's saying, let's put all of this in line first. And many of us, sometimes we, we, we focus on God. Yes, Lord, I want to make things right. Sometimes we say, Lord, I want my, my life to change. But sometimes we don't, we don't affect people the right way. So our life should not only affect how we relate to God, how we relate to ourselves, but it needs to affect how we relate to other people. Now you see, 
What it seems to me is that when you consider what God is telling the people to do, it seems like God is telling them to focus on, on it's kind of like uh, in theology we say anthropomorphism. This is simply to say uh, it's, it's, it's focused on what a human being can do. It's, it's you. You change it. You, you correct it. And some people, their religion is about what they do. Good works and, 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 and kind deeds and, and, and those kind of things. Merciful and mercy and compassion. For some people that is what they focus on. And it seems that this passage is saying the very same thing. Do the right thing. This and this and this. But that is why there is a promise you can claim. That is why, Gun, there is a promise you can claim. Because God understood that their actions alone were not equivalent or efficient or sufficient to allow them to truly be what they needed to be. It would not have allowed them to, what you call it, it would not have allowed them to become more. Hallelujah. God understood that it would not have allowed them to, to dare to be more. So God is saying, it's not only about what you do, but you need to claim it by faith. We go back to the first sermon. He's asking them, dare to faith. And that is, that is what he's saying in verse number 18. He says, come now, let us reason together. Uh, come now, you and me, let us reason together. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, mm, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God is saying, the actions that you take, will not really transform you, but it's me who really transform you, who really transforms you. Now, this passage is set in a legal context. Verse number 18. In fact, the whole of chapter 1 that we are, we are talking about this morning, it's a legal context where God is making a case against his own people. But you see, God is not, a, he's not only a prosecutor. God is judge and lawyer. <laughs> so now God has been a prosecutor. In the passage, he's telling them, you've been doing this wrong, you've been doing this wrong, you've been doing this wrong. But now here God says, I am now asking you as your attorney to come and for us to discuss and reason out this situation. So he says, come, let us reason it together. Let's talk about this. And in fact, I love the, 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 the original language because it just does justice to what is actually happening. God is not saying, come and reason it out. Because really they're wrong. They have no argument to back up their reason why they were sinful and they, they committed mistakes. But what God is actually asking them is, let us come and settle the argumentation. Let us come and settle the issue. Let's clear the books. What God is doing is this. He is giving them a plea deal. God is saying, I'm giving you a way out. And this is the beauty of God. God always gives us a way out. God always invites us. He sees that things are wrong in our life. He sees that we've been doing wrong in our relationships. He, he sees that we've been doing wrong in how we take care of our families. He sees we've been doing wrong in how we study and take care of our health. He sees all of that. But God does not turn us away. God practices what I call tactical empathy according to Chris Voss that is God understands you he invites you in spite of your wrongs he does not agree with your wrongs because empathy you don't agree with somebody you understand them he doesn't agree with our sin he doesn't agree with our wrong but yet he understands us 
And when he has understood us, we feel better and we are better able to relate to him. Because when you have been understood by somebody, it is a lot easier for you to be impacted in how you think. It is a lot easier for you to accept advice. It is a lot easier for you to accept correction. And that is why, brother and sister, let me just give you a tip right here. If you want to help somebody, don't tell them how you feel and how you think. You need to understand where they're coming from. What is their perspective? How do they see things? When they can see, oh my goodness, this person understands me, it is a lot easier for you to, to be impacted. And that is why God is saying, come, 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 come. I want to reason with you. I want to understand you. And brother and sister, I want you to know that today you can reason with God. I don't know what sins you've committed. I don't know how bad it is. I don't know how bad you feel. I don't know how shameful it is. But I want you to know that today you can say, God, I'm coming. I want to reason out. God, I'm coming. I want to settle. God, I'm coming. I'm tired of the way I've been living. God, I'm coming. And God is not going to say, go away. He's going to be, come here with me. Let's talk about this. Brother and sister, take the courage today. Dare to say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to take the steps that I need to take. And so, brother and sister, when you reason out with God, when you claim the promise of God, God now impacts you and he now transforms you into what you need to be. I'm reminded of a story of a little boy. How this little boy killed his mother's chicken. The sister saw everything. So, brother says, uh, sis, please uh, do do not uh, tell mom. I won't tell her. You just got to do my chores. So they shook on it. For one week, the little boy did his sister's chores. So he's carrying a double burden. Man, he got tired. Because his sister was abusing him. When it's time to clean up the table, she just look at him. Bro. When it's time to take take out the trash, she just looks at him. Bro. When it's time to to sweep outside, bro, the brother said, man, I'm tired. So you know what he did? He ran to his mother and he says, mommy, I got something to tell you. I killed your chicken. Mommy says, I I know. Boy's like, mom, so why didn't you say anything? His mom is like, well, I was waiting for you to come. I was waiting for you to realize that uh, you can come to me at any moment. You see, God is waiting for you to come. The, the, the mother said, I, I want you to know that from today, you can always come to me, even though you make a mistake. Because I'm your mother. I love you. And I want you to know that God loves you. You are his child. He's creating you in his own image. He's saying Jesus to die for your sins. Yes, your sins, whatever they are. I don't know what they are. In fact, I don't care to know. But he loves you so much and he is waiting for you to come today. And Jesus always said it. Come unto me. All you that labor. And I have a bird. Uh, uh, I, I, I can't even remember the verse now. Lord, forgive me. But he says, come to me. All you that labor and a heavy burden. Okay, it comes to me now, Lord. Come to me right now and I will give you rest. Too many of us are not at peace today because of the wrongs that we have not made right. Because there is something wrong with God somewhere 
There are leaks all over our lives. And God is saying, I want to stop the leak. You cannot stop the leak. It's me who has to stop the leak in your life. And, and, and that's why when you have, you have taken the action and you have claimed the promise. When you have claimed the promise, oh my brother, there's a blessing to find. <laughs> there's a blessing to find. And I love this because God says in verse number 19, he says, if you are willing, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you want, if you accept my offer, if you dare to make it right, you're going to eat the good of the land. Allow me to read the verse in the New English translation. It says, if you have a willing attitude, attitude again, and obey, then you will again eat the good crops of the land. God is saying you eat the good, good, good crops of the land. The message Bible puts it nicely. If you will willingly obey, you will feast like kings god is saying i want to give you the very best that is the blessing i have for you when you take the action and claim the promise the only thing that is remaining is the is the blessing because you see the blessing for the israelites was a time of peace no invasion their crops growing good in other words the blessing was material prosperity a life without adversity a life of peace and so the good of the land that God promises you when you make it right is that you are going to experience success in your life. You're going to see the wonders of God move amazingly. The promotions are going to come and the demotions are going to disappear. The health will be there and no longer scares and, and heart attacks over your health. Uh, your family is going to fly high and you're going to be riding right. When you accept the blessing of God, you're going to see God do amazing things in your life. Sometimes the blessing is not money. Sometimes the blessing is simply peace. And sometimes we just simply need peace. And so with God, the end result is always a blessing. But in order for you to experience the blessing, you need to take the action to make it right. You need to claim the promise so that you can be made right. And when you have been made right, you're going to enjoy what's right. Ooh, wee, wee, wee. God is going to do amazing things in your life. I want you to eat the good of the land. As a believer of God, you need to be eating the good of the land. God is saying, I want to give you everything that I can give you. But the key to my storehouse of blessing is you doing it right. But God offers a warning. Because though there may be a blessing to find, the blessing can also be lost. And God says... But if you refuse and rebel, hmm, there's always a choice. You shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. There's a beautiful word play in the text. Eat the good of the land if you make it right. Or be eaten if you keep it wrong. So what's, what, what is it going to be for you today? Are you going to choose to be eaten or are you going to choose to eat? Eat or be eaten? The choice is up to you. If you choose to make it right, hmm, you're going to be eating, my friend. Hmm? <laughs> you're going to be eating, eating so much that uh, <laughs> you're going to be full. In fact, you even say, Lord, chukup, chukup, snap, 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 snap. But if you choose not to make it right, stay wrong, you're going to be eaten. Mm -hmm. 
eaten by shame, eaten by sadness, eaten by disease, eaten by loss. Gonna be eaten. That, that, that's just how it goes. Because a wrong with God somewhere affects you everywhere. When it's wrong somewhere with God, it's gonna be affecting you everywhere. It's gonna be leaks all over your life. And this morning, I'm, I'm simply here to tell you, dare to make it right. What is that thing you need to make right? Is it a relationship? Broken one? An, an unamended one? Is it, is it a job with a boss, with an, an employee? So I'm talking about relationships today. It's about relationships. Because relationships formulate about 90% of our earthly existence. We relate with everybody all the time. People are all over in our lives. And sometimes we, we, we do things wrong there. And God is saying we have to make it right. Are you willing to say today, I'm going to make it right wherever it, it has gone wrong. I'm going to do the right actions. I'm going to claim the promises that God has. And I'm going to ex experience the blessing that he has. I dare you today to make it right. I want to make it right. I don't know about you. Every head is bowed. Every set of eyes is closed as we pray. Heavenly Father, I dare to make it right. I hope my brothers and sisters dare to make it right. Father, I know that uh, I have made mishaps and slips on, on relationships. But today, Father, I'm asking you to help me to be a better, a better person. And I believe that a brother and a sister is praying the same today. We dare to make it right. We, we dare to do the right thing. And so, Father, into your hands, we commit ourselves Thank you for the promises that you've given us today. In the awesome, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, I pray today and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.